Welcome in to Bears Weekly, a Chicago Bears Network production. Download the Chicago Bears official app, brought to you by Verizon, to follow the team on the go. Bears Weekly is brought to you by Advocate Healthcare, Athletico Physical Therapy, Vet Rivers, CDW, Connie's Pizza, IGS Energy, and Miller Lite. Here are your hosts, Jeff Choniak, a.k.a. the Mayor of Bearsville, and his sidekick, Tom the Surfmaster Thayer. New coaching staff set for 2024. The Bears get ready for the scouting combine and free agency. Welcome into another edition of Bears Weekly. I'm Jeff Joniak with Super Bowl winning Bear Tom Thayer. Thanks to our producers, Jordan Treadup and Dan Barilli from the Bears. The executive producer of the Bears Radio Network is Eric Ostrowski. Coming up, we'll be joined by Jim Miller in the program. We'll also hear one-on-one interviews uh, I did earlier today at Hallis Hall with offensive coordinator Shane Waldron and defensive coordinator Eric Washington. Tom, good to talk to you. How you feeling? And what did you think of the news conferences first earlier? We now know the coaching staff, short of an assistant defensive line coach, Justin Hines, was taken by Seattle to become their new defensive line coach, and he did a nice job at the Senior Bowl working with defensive linemen. So he goes, and so another position yet to fill. But overall, we we know what the philosophies are going to look like a little bit. You know, there's a lot I liked about it. You know, back 16 years ago when I got to meet Eric Washington, it seemed to me more like an introverted guy behind the scenes just learning his approach to where his coaching was going to take him through life. And then you think of Shane Waldron, if you ask 100 people out in the streets where Tufts University is, they're never going to be able to tell you where. And that's what I like about these two coaches. And just to analogize tree climbing, when you have branches that are built close to the ground, it's easy to climb a tree. But when you don't have them very close to the ground, you got to climb that tree and your journey is a little bit more difficult. And I think both of these guys, you have to respect the journey they took. And that's why I mentioned Tufts University for Shane Waldron and then the, the coaching process through the Bill Walsh program in the NFL for Eric Washington. And look what both of them have become. And I think that benefits their experiences through the coaching life when they have this opportunity you know, that they've earned I think they have a lot to withdraw from a lot of experiences. That is one of the best analogies I've ever heard you say, because you can visualize that very easily. Totally makes sense. Totally, Tom. Nice job. That Notre Dame degree is working. No, I grew up in a backyard with trees. Right. And so my, my, one of my sisters, Annette used to love to climb trees and she would be sitting way up at the top, but that's what kind of, when I was thinking about their journey through coaching, that's kind of what it reminded me of. Well, a lot of folks are going to want to know, hey, what did we learn? Well, we didn't learn a whole lot about what the Bears will look like offensively in 2024 and beyond. Defensively, we know what they're going to look like. Uh, but the combination of philosophies, ideas uh, in the same system over time, that is going to net some very interesting results on the, that side of the ball. Offensive side of the ball at the main podium uh, earlier today up at Hallisaw with the media as expected, they're not going to tip their hand in what direction they're going in terms of the quarterback or any discussion of specific personnel, which I totally anticipated. And when we sit down with Shane uh, and my one-on-one, I, I didn't even try to go down that path. I just want to learn more about the guy. And that's what we're trying to figure out right now because in his case, Tom, he, he's been touched by so many different people. And, and these are Super Bowl-winning people in his career. And so you, you can only imagine – what is going through his mind as he puts together a plan. Now, one thing I wanted to bring up, and I just didn't have the time allotted for me to do this, is what you talk about. What I want to know is how difficult will be the new language of an offense that 
may be similar, but it's not going to be the same as everything that's done in San Francisco or Seattle or Los Angeles with the Rams just because he came from that tree. It's going to be tailored to what they have. But, you know, like you, you've indicated many times, that that may be the most important thing, whatever they do at the quarterback position, but for everybody else is to learn, learn what they're they're talking about. Yeah, they're, they're going to learn a new language, and they're super fortunate to have OTAs and, ma- and multiple mini camps um, in this new NFL. So I think you have a lot more meeting room opportunity to teach the language to these guys. When they go out in the practice fields, they're able to get an evaluation of how well it's being taught and how well it's being picked up because that's one thing going into the first week of the regular season. You cannot have interruption in the thinking process of an offensive football unit. Um, You know, there won't be much change uh, philosophically and terminology from the defensive side of the ball. But um, I think from Shane, you know, he's learned and developed a whole process of teaching offensive football. But, you know, one thing that's interesting to me when I – Shane, and and I'm glad you brought it up because Shane is the offensive coordinator. But you have a passing coordinator and you have a run coordinator. And I think that takes a little bit of the pressure off of the offensive coordinator. Just like I think a guy like Eric Washington can take away a little bit of the pressure from Matt Eberflus, the head coach. And so I like – the way they have this plan in place because all the responsibility of teaching this language doesn't fall under the shoulders of Shane. It falls into the coaching development and all the position coaches on board. All right, coming up next, we'll be introduced to Shane Waldron, the Bears' new offensive coordinator here on ESPN Chicago and the Bears Radio Network. This is Bears Weekly with the voice of the Bears for 23 years, Jeff Joniak on the Bears Radio Network. This segment of Bears Weekly is brought to you by IGS Energy. Jeff and Tom here on Bears Weekly. And my sit-down with Shane Waldron, the Bears' new offensive coordinator, up at Hallis Hall earlier today. All right, Shane, welcome to Chicago. How's it fit? How's it fit for the Pacific Northwest guy? Yeah, this has been great. You know, I feel like I've been uh, in all parts of the country from this uh, in this coaching world. And uh, close side Ben was in South Bend, Indiana, and was it 2006, seven somewhere in that range with the uh, – you know, with the with Notre Dame as a grad assistant, so being back in the Midwest and uh, you know some of the different people that have reconnected just from being here over the last couple of weeks has been pretty cool. Yeah, you really have spanned the globe when you think about it. Yeah, <laughs> one yeah. corner of the country to the next, Tufts, yeah. the Patriots, and moving all around. But the, that is the life of a of a coach trying to climb the coaching ladder, which you have done very successfully. Yeah. Um, how, how do you reflect on that journey and now to the charter franchise of the National Football League? Yeah, I think uh, for me, it's been, you know, I feel like it's been very lucky, but also a mix of luck and hard work that's that's led me to this point. Uh, there's been great experiences. Every every experience has been so unique in different stops along the way and just try to do my best to, to learn and, and figure out what uh, what each stop has to offer for me that I can take with me moving forward on to the next one that fits my personality, fits my style and and you know, led, leads us to, you know, what would be the best way to, to run an offense. You know, I find it funny. I, I didn't realize this until because I've known Eric Washington for a long time, but he, he was a tight end. You were a tight end, long snapper, his college players. Now we got two tight ends. We got got a defensive coordinator that was yeah. a tight end, yeah. and we got an offensive coordinator tight end. That's a significant position, obviously, because of the, the multiplicity of, of, of job responsibilities. Mm-hmm. But 
uh, I think good coaches come from that stock of, t- of the tight end position, offensive line position, defensive line position. Would you agree? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as far as that goes, I'm sure he's at a – I saw him up on the podium. I don't know if I'm doing uh, one-on-ones <laughs> with him anytime soon. But, you know, for me, also coaching that position I thought yeah. was a big help uh, in, in, in my coaching journey because, like you mentioned, it is a position that – has to know the run game, has yep. to know protections, has to know the pass game. Uh, and I think aside from the quarterback, it does have the biggest crossover in terms of having to know the full field and what's going on uh, throughout the course of the offense. You know, I've always uh, followed the paths of all players and who who touched them, you know, the touch points in their life. And you've been surrounded by Super Bowl head coaches. Mm-hmm. Guys have won the game. Uh, but And I just just started, I just got back from vacation, just was reading Bill Belichick's book. Mm-hmm. I'm on page 76. And, and you had time to spend with the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Um, how important do you think that turned out to be when you're you're getting different successful coaches, whether it be veteran coaches mm-hmm. that took a while to get there or young coaches that grew up in a family of coaches? I mean, how significant is that to what you are becoming? Yeah, I think, you know, you know, the coaches, a lot of the other coaches on that staff, along with Coach Belichick, just the attention to detail, um, you know, the desire to, to get things done, to work hard, you know, all those things. I was fortunate enough to be around, you know, at a young age and, and I was still learning, you know, there's a, a, I had a long way to go, still have a long way to go in, in, in being a finished product, but that really did help to lay a foundation. And, and I thought his messaging and hit the style of players that were around that team, uh, those different teams at those times, you know, there's so many great leaders, so many great white uh, guys that set an example of what it would look like with a great locker room. And so it painted a pretty clear picture for me you know, moving forward in a coaching career of, of what, what, the, what that looks like, what a team that's, that's really built the right way looks like. We often now look at trees, coaching trees, and, and certainly there's some notable coaching trees that you've been a part of, offensively speaking, successful. Um, in terms of what your vision is for, for the Bears offense, not mm-hmm. necessarily Shane Waldron's offense, but the Bears offense, is it adaptable to many different types of players, yeah, especially think, the quarterback position? Yeah, especially. I mean, I think in, in my mind in this league, because every year, you know, the roster turnover or injuries or different things that happen, I think the ability to be adaptable on offense is a key component to that. The ability to have a system uh, that can adjust to the quarterback skill set, the running back skill set, what O-line you have that year, the tight ends, the receivers. To me, all those things go together. So having a, a good foundational approach to it, where we have a group of coaches that are great teachers, great with fundamentals, and then you have this system that's allowed to expand or, or contract or, or go in different uh, variations depending on what the players are and who, and who you have that particular year. Yeah, or who you plan. You know, yeah, exactly. The, I keep going back to Bill Belichick. Other coaches are like this, but, you know, hey, you know, take away what they, they want to do best mm-hmm. and focus on – that was his mindset often, uh, but to exploit as well. You have to right. be flexible and adapt even in the course of a game – and if you're in a box where it's because, to be honest, some offensive coaches that we do what we do, mm-hmm. that that's their theme. But today's game, do you think it's necessary to be super flexible? I, I do. I think you need to be. You still have to have a core foundation. You still yeah. need to be able to to do the things well that you know you need to do on offense. You know, starting with being able to run the ball, uh, starting with being able to protect. Uh, but then from there, knowing how how variable defenses have become in this league uh, and how multiple almost every team you're playing week in and week out, you know, you might run into a game where nothing on film is showing up in that particular game. So being able to ready to adjust and not have to, 
you know, create a new offense on the sideline, but be able to teach what we're doing against a different style of defense and still be able to attack them uh, in an aggressive manner. How important is it to you to have uh, people that you've worked with before coming aboard here from Seattle? Uh, Thomas Brown, obviously. And then that same vein, it's now in vogue for almost every team to have a run game coordinator, pass game coordinator. How helpful is that to the offensive coordinator? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, you know, one thing I've learned in, in a couple of years now in the role is is the ability to uh, divvy up the tasks and, yeah. and, you know, spread out the workload so there isn't one particular person that's bogged down or, or another. And, and it, it gets everyone, you know, working more together, gets everyone involved. And so to be able to have Thomas Brown, to be able to have Chris Morgan as, as a run game coordinator and a pass game coordinator where they can really have different pods and meetings throughout the week as well. Um, you know, we can all be efficient while we're working, but also at the end of the day, get to the same, the same place that we all want to go through our communication, which really starts in the off season of getting on the same page where we want to go. But those guys will be a tremendous help. And, you know, it's been good just to, in the short couple of uh, weeks that we've been working so far, you, know, you can see what direction and, and, and what type of communication we'll have together. Would you agree and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but uh, would you agree that in some respects, play calling for the offense is an art? Mm-hmm. And it's there's a lot of different artists and a lot of way to make the same schemes that are now populating the league, you know, look different, even even though they may not be fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, just the, the, you know, trying to be creative without, you know, losing the the individual techniques and, and the, the core beliefs that you have to have in football, I think that's the balance. You know, how, how creative can you be? How stressed can you make the defense, but without losing the, the integrity of, of being able to, you know, have great footwork or play grounded or, you know, get open at the top of route. So I think, you know, combining those things to me is, is the real art. And then, you know, as, as the play calls go, you know, that balance of, uh, you know, the analytical approach, but also the feel and flow of the game, which I do think there is a, you know, when you're talking about a live action game, you know, there is a, a combination of the two that go into it. So uh, in terms of your game plan, I've, I've known some coordinators, you know, they want to shut their door, lock it down. Some guys do it Friday night. Some guys, you know, just put the hay in the barn long before that. What kind of guy is Shane Waldron in terms of setting up that game plan for Sunday? Right. I think real process driven, you know, I kind of have the the times of each day uh, throughout the course of the week where we want to knock out different sections of it. And like I said, a a collaborative effort where different guys are involved in different areas, uh, you know, where it's all funnels to that that final uh, call sheet on on Sunday. All right, Tom, some of the things I didn't get into with him, but I can't wait to. And it's significant, whether it's with Justin or if it's going to be Caleb Williams or another quarterback in the draft, whatever the case may be. Tyson Bajan, for that matter. You know, one of the things that becomes important, and, and, it be, and you'll notice also in the conversation in our next segment with Eric Washington about pressure on the quarterback position, pressure applied to an offense, is that time of getting rid of the football. And Shane helped significantly in the time to throw for those Seattle quarterbacks because in the past – that was not the case. Same with Russell Wilson. They hung on the ball a little bit, and and some quarterbacks do. But in today's NFL, you really can't, can you? No, you can't. And You know, when you talk about the difference in the quarterback play that Shane has been around, to me the biggest impression that I was always left with is Geno Smith. Right. Because I know me, I kind of gave up on Geno Smith. And then all of a sudden he goes to Seattle, and he goes there, 
and he has comeback player of the year. He has a year that is, is pro bowl, all pro caliber. And so that tells me more about Shane Waldron than it does all the quarterbacks that he's worked with. Because when you don't have, I don't necessarily think he's a reclamation project. However, you know, he has some stops along the way that he doesn't, he didn't have the success that he did in Seattle. So that's one thing that really impressed me about Shane the most you know, specifically to the quarterback position. And he was excellent uh, as a play caller on early downs uh, last year in Seattle. They, they, they made first downs on first downs. Okay. And that's something that Matt Eberflus has talked about a lot offensively that he'd like to see because, you know, that keeps like you, Tom, you're a first down guy. I'm a first down guy. (laughs) You're a first down guy. (laughs) All right. When we come back, we'll be hearing from the bears, new defensive coordinator to help Matt Eberflus. That is Eric Washington. It's all coming up next year on Bears Weekly and ASP 1000 of the Bears Radio Network. This is Bears Weekly with the voice of the Bears for 23 years, Jeff Joniak on the Bears Radio Network. Want VIP access including exclusive seating, sideline credentials, and more to every Bears home game next season? Join the wait list to get the ultimate VIP fan package in 2024 by visiting ChicagoBearsVIP.com. Eric Washington, not new to Hallis Hall. It's where he got his NFL start and where he continues to pick up the baton as he enters 2024 as the new defensive coordinator. First of all, congratulations. Good to see you. Uh, appreciate the big bear hug. Uh, back when I first met you, I didn't need glasses, but you still look the same. What's the story? <laughs> I appreciate that. It's, it's great to be back. Um, just trying to take care of myself. I want to uh, remain viable. I have a teenager, a 13-year-old son, and I just want to make sure I, I, I remain viable and active for him. You know, you're, it's 16 years since uh, you had a position here, but I even go back to when you were a Bill Walsh Minority Fellowship yes. intern, right? Yes. 2005, Bears go to the playoffs that yes. year. Yes. First time under Lovey in his second season. You did that more than once then, right? I did right? twice. Yeah. 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 So how valuable did that turn out to be in retrospect for you? It was unbelievable. Um, just, first of all, it was my introduction to the NFL, Yeah. And which is a different uh, landscape than college football. And um, I got a chance to to be around outstanding players. Uh, Brian Erlacher was here, um, and it just gave me insight and perspective on how to be an effective facilitator at this level, which is a little bit different than than what it takes to be successful in college. So just being able to see that, to be in the meetings, to understand how this entire machine works, it, it was un- it was an tr- unbelievable introduction to that. Yeah, and now as you take a step back and if you go down that long tunnel from what you were then as a coach and how you were viewed and respected already to where we are sitting here today as Bears defensive coordinator in 2024 it's almost surreal um, and it's a tremendous blessing and you know when for me when you achieve uh, something like this I go back to the players I go back because, you know, great, good coaches are made by great players. And I think about all of the, the, the individuals who trusted me, followed through with, um, with what we asked them to do, what I asked them to do, and uh, the value that they allowed me to add to their life. And I've tried to do what I ask players to do, and that's grow. That's continue to get better, to grow, to use your experiences, those that are exactly what you want and maybe those that fall a little bit short to continue to help you advance 
and whatever you're trying to get done. So it, it's, it's just a wonderful testament to that. I'm, I'm, I have nothing but gratitude and appreciation, and uh, I'm still growing. And it's in the family of defenses that, you know, you started with here with Lovey. And I, I used to love having conversations with Lovey, as I'm sure you did, and with players like, he was about fundamentals. He was about technique. He was about being in the right gap. He was about you know you get off at the line of scrimmage right. where your foot was. You know right. I can remember detailed conversations about that, and then the fight where players are going on instinct, right? Like Lance, I, I joke with Lance all the time. Lovey would be furious sometimes. He wouldn't be in his gap, right? But he knew how to get he, get skinny and get in there. As this as as this family of defenses has evolved with the evolution of the game and a lot more mobile quarterbacks that could basically be wide receivers or tight ends and you're dealing with them in a different way, how have you adapted your thinking and coaching and, and with a lot of it being on the defensive line? Sure, the the, the game of football it, at this level has evolved tremendously. Yeah, and um, I remember when some of the things in college that we saw in college in contrast, we were like, well, there are no running quarterbacks here. The quarterback won't be a featured runner. So uh, you don't have to worry about this. You don't have to worry about some of these things. And that's just not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to plan on so many different types of presentations from an offensive, from an offense. And we have to really understand what's going on in college football. We really have to understand the background of some of these players, especially on the offensive side, to be able to have a plan to defend it, to stop it, to disrupt it or whatever. And so you have to continue to grow. Um, There's some things that are constants in this business. The fundamentals, blocking and tackling, uh, playing, you know, being able to affect the quarterback, playing great coverage and how those things complement each other. But you have to evolve and understand the trends, and sometimes the trends are created uh, here in the NFL, and sometimes they're created other places. So the Bears were number one stop on the run. A year after, they, they were far different from that. The adjustments made, nice job by Matt, and the addition of talent, and they started taking the ball away, which right. is talked about Huge. crazily. And Lovey did the same, and, and you've done the same with your stops as well with Ron Rivera and Sean McDermott in uh, Buffalo. But pressure is king. Pressure breaks pipes. I don't know how many players have told me that. There's different ways to skin a cat. What do you envision here in terms of the pressure packages? Start Well, starting with uh, we want our pressures to really complement the different looks that we present. And so we want to make sure that the quarterback and the offense in general, that they're not really sure where we're coming from. So you start with just being able, being in, a, in, a, in an alignment, in a grouping that says, okay, I'm not real sure. There's not a lot of information that we're getting from them. And then from there, we can decide what we want to do in terms of deploying this particular pressure. But it all starts with our front four. You know, every defensive coordinator or every head coach would love to rush four and then, you know, have seven guys in coverage. That provides the type of cover, and we can get into different coverage packages but when you can generate pressure with four and it feels like you're, you're sending a fifth guy, then that's, that's when you decide to deploy that guy. At times, you can really overwhelm the offense. So uh, we have to affect the, the outstanding quarterbacks that you see in this business. And the first way that you do that is to take away the dimension of being able to run the football. Once, they, once we're in a, in, a, in a mindset where we can kind of predict and anticipate, it allows us to play faster and it limits their options. All right, tell me about your relationship with Big Matt, Matt Eberflus. Uh, 
He loves he loves coaches as much he loves players, and right. and he holds coaches as accountable as he does his players. Sure. It's, a, it's a unique approach, in my opinion, how he looks at things. But uh, you've known him a while, right? Yeah, um, it just um, you know, I, I Matt was at Dallas. He was a linebackers coach there, and I was coaching the defensive line. I became acquainted with him through my good friend Rod Marinelli. Of course, yes. And um, and all of a sudden, you know, when when Rod likes somebody, that's probably <laughs> somebody that you're going to end up liking, and not just because of the football acumen, yeah. but because of the values, yeah, and the, values, and and, yeah. and just the way the type of person that he is, which affects what you, what we all do for a living. Uh, and then when Matt went to the Indianapolis Colts and I was transitioning away from uh, Carolina, we had some conversations about possibly working together at that time. We saw each other at various off-season, senior bowl, combine, just different things, and we talked. And uh, when, the time, when the time and the opportunity presented itself for us to finally get a chance to work together, uh, I got a call from him, and I, and I was just – I was excited because of who was on the end of that call. Yeah. Obviously, the Chicago Bears, but it's somebody that you know and that you trust and that you have a lot of respect for. All right, so you've had a chance to digest, I'm sure, uh, what you've seen on tape from this defense, which was flying around last year. I love the vibrancy of the secondary. I, I love the the attitude of the linebackers and athletic as they are and, and get to the football and make a lot of tackles and then a developing defensive line. I mean, there's a lot here to chew on, plus more coming down the pike here. Uh, what's your your first flashpoint reaction to it? We're, we're going through the uh, video right now, the film we're reviewing last season and looking at different concepts. And when we got in the room as a staff, I, I just, I was like, wow. Here we go, right? I, I, here we I go. I mean, and it, it's exciting to watch, to just watch how tough this group plays. They play tough. They play defense like I like to see defense play. And it's with an attitude. It's with an, a certain mindset and aggressiveness. Uh, uh, they are definitely, they are a contact-driven defense. They want to turn the guy around, whoever has the football. And that's where, where we're starting from is just exciting. And then to say, okay, let's start here and let's take it to a different plateau. As as we're going through the cutups in the video, I just I'm just excited about what I'm seeing. Yeah, and you know the guy who sticks out just used the new addition that really kind of multiplied the the talent level was Montez Sweat. Without and you question. need those kind of guys. No, without question. Great length, uh, great mindset, speed, strength. Uh, he's everything that you're looking for in an edge rusher, and but at the same time, he wants to be one eleven. He want he doesn't want to go outside of the scheme and outside of the concept to get to get to get the job done. He's concerned about winning and contributing to that. Eric, good to have you here. Welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be here. All right. So at the outset, I said, "Hey, thanks for the bear hug, man." That that dude, first of all, is big, and he he just you could tell how happy he is. He's happy. He is back here, and uh, he's got a great title and and a lot to work with on the defensive side of the ball. With more to come, Tommy. Yeah, you know, the great Clyde Emmerich always said is when people look at you during your coaching career or your playing career, make them know that you're a football player from the first time they see you. And when I saw Eric up at the podium, he looked like a guy that could get in a stance as a defensive end. But I think it also it reflects um, respect from his players. And he talked about it, how he wanted that reflection upon his 13-year-old son. And so – Eric is really pointed in the right direction, and I'm really excited to see that about him. Now I want to see him flourish as a defensive coordinator here with the Bears. Right, and, you know, with that side of the ball also, 
uh, now the influence of somebody who's been really good on the defensive line. That's why I focused on that pressure, the pressure of quarterbacks, how that's going to transpire, whether it be with a little bit more blitzing that may be out of the, the beginning of this scheme, which is four-man pressure, right. or just great players. And you want a combination of both. you got to keep offenses off balance. But I was more encouraged about the four-man pressure. Yeah. Because you can do a lot to develop an offense, especially with the traits of length of Tremaine Edmonds or the ability of uh, TJ Edwards, of a guy like Jack Sanborn, even the defensive backs that they have aboard already. So I think there's other guys that can contribute. However, if you can start that engine with four-man pressure, it gives you a lot of versatility. All right, coming up next, we are joined by Jim Miller, our partner here on Bears Weekly. We'll discuss where the Bears are headed on both sides of the ball. It's all coming up next here on Bears Weekly on ESPN 1000 and the Bears Radio Network. This is Bears Weekly with the voice of the Bears for 23 years, Jeff Joniak on the Bears Radio Network. This segment of Bears Weekly is brought to you by Athletical Physical Therapy. Visit athletical.com to request an in-clinic or virtual appointment and start feeling better tomorrow. Jeff Joniak, Tom Thayer, back on the air with us in our program today. Big Jim Miller getting ready. Let me know, because I don't know if you just keep a suitcase next to the bed. Big Tom, you know, you don't go anywhere. Uh, you're going to be going somewhere f- soon for the sunshine in Maui. But Jim's on the move. So do you have the suitcase pre-packed and ready to go? Because the combine's coming up, buddy. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to take off uh, Monday night uh, to head down to Indianapolis. And, yeah, always uh, a big weekend, or I should say week, of as the players start to get measured. And you just really start to get honed, honed in on these players. But I'll be down there. Monday night, uh, Tuesday, all the way through uh, Saturday, and just getting to know these players. I already scheduled about 70 interviews wow. uh, with players. So anybody from, you name it, from the old linemen to the defensive backs to the quarterbacks. So we'll get a good uh, inside uh, look at some of these players and why they're worthy of being selected. Jim, I have tried to, to pull Tommy over to the Indianapolis for a week. He's just not having it. He has his TV. He'll sit there and watch it and do his analysis work. He'll read up. He'll get some notes and then get, you know, come on, Tom. One time, a whole week in Indy with us. Do you know how much fun you'd have? Number one, you've never (laughs) asked me. Number two is I've been to the combine (laughs) when it's my own and others. Yeah, I got you. um, I I was curious for both of you guys. So last year watching the Combine, it was an oh-my-gosh moment because when I saw Bryce Young standing with the rest of the quarterbacks, I was going, wow, I, I can't believe the indifferences in sizes of the players at this position. Have either of you guys ever had a wow moment of a guy that's really big or small from what the, for the first time seeing him? Yeah, I mean, it, well, you bring up a good point, Tom, because to me it – that's what you want to do. You want to compare apples to apples. You know, when you saw Bryce Young and how small he was, or say, like when I was down there, I'll never forget this, Cam Newton ended up throwing, right? That was the lockout year, and would he go number one overall? And But you could just see how much physically bigger he was than the other quarterbacks. And, of course, he threw that time. And he wasn't the most accurate quarterback, but you could see – the talent in Cam Newton and why he was selected number one overall. But I think that's a big part of it because I remember even when I went to the combine, I was mad that he Shuler and Trent Dilfer didn't throw because they were in my group 
and they elected not to throw. And it was like me, Gus Frott, and a couple other quarterbacks. And I was upset about it because I wanted my arm to show up and compare to theirs. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. Of course, those guys went, you know, basically one and two overall. But I felt I could hang with those guys. But you you definitely can compare apples to apples. Yeah, for me, Tommy, uh, just the, the intrigue happens when there's a storyline. So, you know, I, I've been going to these combines since they didn't have it in the inside the the the, um, the dome there in the facility. I mean, it was it was just a few people. But I remember when Orlando Pace, I think that was the 97 yeah. draft. I literally went and, and we're on Zoom right now so we can all see each other fans out there listening. But I looked up and I'm five, seven and a half on a good day. And I'm like, this is the biggest human being I've ever seen. And I was like intimidated. And he was the nicest guy of all time. And then you had the Maurice Claret draft. Remember that? He was yeah. petitioning to get in, and that was a crazy show. And, you know, it's just this mob of people. And, uh, you know, Johnny Manziel, I, I thought he'd be a little bigger than I thought, and he was he was a tiny quarterback as well. He probably weighed 160 pounds soaking wet, it seemed. But, you know, stuff like that. Uh, for me, this is, you know, now it's always become yeah. it's the quarterbacks. It's all about the quarterbacks, and certainly as it relates to the Bears, it'll be about the quarterbacks. So I can't wait. I hope to sit with Jimmy on Saturday and watch the quarterbacks, actually, if he'll allow me uh, just no to chance. get his. Jim, would you do, would you allow me the honor? I mean, come I'm on. be there, Jeff. Let's do it. Let, I want to uh, hear as it's together. happening in real time yeah. what's going on. And, and how many of these guys do we think are going to throw? Yeah, I, well, I hope all of them do. I, I think it only benefits. See, that's what I mean about Cam Newton. I brought up Cam Newton. He did not throw well. He literally missed a lot of his targets, but you could see his arm, how the ball popped out of his hand, you know, the fluidity with how he threw. And he didn't complete a lot of passes, like I said. Now, you know, I remember the next day reading all these reports. Well, he's he's inaccurate with the football. It, It doesn't matter. These are new receivers, all that stuff. All I know is you could see the talent and evaluate him and say, that guy's a first rounder. Without a doubt, he ended up going number one overall, and it didn't hurt him. It didn't hurt him that he, you know, didn't complete a lot of passes because you could see the arm strength. You could see the ball pop out of his hand. You could see the footwork, just the physical stature uh, of him. And so all that stuff matters, and it's not going to hurt you. A lot of people think, oh, he didn't test well at the draft, and it's going to hurt him. A lot of coaches and GMs are not going to bang a guy. They're, They're actually happy that you're there working out where they can see you up close and personal going about uh, your business. The other thing I would say, Jeff and and Tom, we all know that there's a lot of ancillary other stuff that is going on down at the combine, i.e. trades, i.e. free agents. Think of the Bears last year, Ryan Poles. That's when he went down to the combine, and he was already working behind closed doors with Scott Fitterer, at that point the GM of the Carolina Panthers to what facilitate a trade. So there's so much going on at night, a lot of private meetings, free agents who are going to be available that maybe you'll have a, a shot at taking meeting with agents, those type of things. And yeah, the free agency window hasn't opened, but that's where all these trades and in uh, signings and all these things really start to get the ball rolling is in Indianapolis where you start to solidify at least open the door for some of those deals to get done. Tommy, what do you want to see at this combine? Because much like, you know, the senior bowl, when agents have a say and their players get pulled for the game or later in the week, they, they say, hey, you guys have done enough uh, agents or pulling out of bowl games. 
You know, they may advise players that may not uh, be ready to uh, have that sparkling 40 or throw up enough weight in the bench presses or to just go into the actual, you know, the throwing and, and catching aspect of it. What do you want to see and what do you hope that doesn't happen? Well, you know, two things I want. Uh, first of all, I, I don't want any injuries to happen. Yeah. And that, I think that's the most important part about any combine that you go to any senior day. The two things is the rebound and some arm talent from the quarterback position that I saw at practices at the senior bowl that I wasn't very impressed with. And then number two, and I think Jim brought it up as, as well as you is the defensive tackle position. I don't, I'm, I'm, I like size, but I like, I like, I'm more intrigued by explosiveness because you can take a guy that's 350 pounds. That's maybe good for 10, 11 snaps a game, or it's really difficult getting him to stay on schedule in terms of his weight and his accountability. Give me a guy that shows extreme explosiveness. The guy that you can maybe imagine being on your football team as that defensive end or that three technique or multiple positions up and down the line of scrimmage that can come in and be part of that uh, contributing rotation like we saw Dexter Jr. and Zach Pickens do this year as rookies. But I, I really need to see that top-notch explosiveness. Jim, uh, Tom asked me the other day because – you know, he's always thinking ball. So he throw these questions out there, right? He, he gets me, and then I feel like, God, I'm not even thinking about this right now. I mean, he's putting me on the spot because I got I to gotta try to impress my, my partner here. So he goes, want a what? reaction answer. Yeah, he wants it. So, Jim, Tom, Tom, fire off the reaction one you gave me this week. To Jim. I said, uh, not who, but what position do you want most for the Bears throughout free agency? So don't give me a name. Just give me a position that you want. And so, you know, Jeff gives you a par- a paragraph explanation before he <laughs> finally says. I, I said interior defensive lineman. Jim, what about you? Three technique. Yeah, I'm same. Okay. And, Tom, you felt a the same way. A penetrating, yeah. dominant three technique. Disrupt. I think that's what's right. missing from, from the defense, in, in my opinion. And then. You know, offensively, yeah, we're we're going to talk about obviously the the elephant in, in the room, and that's uh, quarterback. You know, I think obviously the Bears are sitting in a spot where they can get this right, where they can uh, really solidify themselves for the next ten to fifteen years at a position that has been elusive for for them. And I, I've been on record, and I've been very public about it. They can do both. They can keep Justin Fields and they can still draft a quarterback and develop a young quarterback because Justin hasn't reached his ceiling yet, and it's up to him to reach that ceiling. Let him play. Let them compete. Uh, The cream always rises to the top. It'll really benefit Justin, in my opinion, because, again, we we know the talent is there. Everybody has seen the talent of him, and really his career should start to, to take off. But you can still address the quarterback position as a fallback. Tom, you're not not the only one that gets my question. I do send those questions to a guy like Tommy Waddle, and he won't give me a single an answer that I'm looking for a reaction. (laughs) He wants to give me a paragraph and then kind of whittle it down. So when I give you those questions, I'm just looking for a reaction. So why why is yours defensive line? Mine for me? No, no, Tommy. Um, I I just think it's an important position to. to um, have the results of the exterior success of the Bears defensive line. I think you get more sacks if you have a little bit more immediate pressure 
coming straight at the quarterback. All right, one more segment to go with Tom Thayer, Jeff Joniak, and Jim Miller from SiriusXM NFL Radio is moving the chains. We'll take a look at what the, the new coordinators, Shane Waldron and Eric Washington and that Bears defense, need to execute what their schemes will look like here in 2024 and beyond. That's next here on ESPN 1000 and the Bears Radio Network. This is Bears Weekly with the voice of the Bears for 23 years, Jeff Joniak on the Bears Radio Network. This segment of Bears Weekly is brought to you by CDW People to Get It and get the ultimate VIP fan package this season by visiting ChicagoBearsVIP.com. Jeff, Tom, and Jim here in our final segment on Bears Weekly. So earlier today we heard from Shane Waldron and Eric Washington. Our sit-downs played earlier in the show. Uh, And, you know, Jim, what in your opinion, let's start with the offense and how this scheme will materialize and if it's going to be as similar to what has been here before. What does Shane Waldron, do you think, need in terms of personnel added to what is already expected to be here and leave the quarterback thing out of it for right now because who knows what's going to happen. But what, what do you suggest and what do you think? And then, Tom, you can follow up. Yeah, well, first, first when you look at Shane Waldron, again, the, the scheme, the system that he's going to run. Pete Carroll wants to run, wanted to run the football. That is paramount. Obviously, they drafted high draft picks at running back when you look at Kenneth Walker, uh, Zach Charbonnet, who they selected out of UCLA. And I think Shane comes from that background. The Bears want to run the football. So I think that's probably what, during the interview process, that came up. Obviously, it's it's got to be paramount, especially when the, the weather turns and all that. And then you think of DK Metcalf. All right, he is a huge ex-wide receiver that has been very involved and obviously has put up big numbers. Ironically, that's DJ Moore's position as well. And so I think to incorporate DJ Moore, do the things that obviously uh, Metcalf has is done and done successfully uh, out there. And but it's you know it's ball control. You know they can put up big numbers in terms of the passing. Look at the record-setting year, uh, not last year, but two years ago uh, by Geno Smith in the numbers that he put up over 30 touchdowns only 10 interceptions. So I think it's going to be all in, in, in encompass at all in terms of what the, the bears want to do and why they, uh, you know, elected to bring on Shane Waldron, but it will be a run play action offense that can be explosive. And of course you've got to settle the quarterback p- position. He's had good years, obviously with Russell Wilson, then he uh, inserted Geno Smith, and of course Drew Locke had to play a little bit last year uh, due to, to to injury. But you know, it's it's like we've always been saying: the Bears need to be a run play action offense, play good defense, and I think Shane Waldron definitely fits in that mold. You know, one thing I think about Shane Waldron, it's not necessarily who's here, but who else. Because when you talk about DJ Moore, if you could have that complimentary wide receiver that's as equally as threatening as DJ Moore, you're going to open up a lot more downfield opportunities uh, for this offense. Then then to me, is I need a tight end that's not obvious. A complimentary tight end to Cole Komet. I love Cole Komet. He's an every down tight end. But when you think of the tight ends that had Mercedes Lewis, if he comes into the game, you know most likely he's going to be a blocker. If Robert Tanyan comes in the game, you know most likely he's going to be a receiver and not a point of impact blocker. So if I could get a guy that fits the template of Cole Komet, I think you have more of a balanced opportunity to, as Jim says, run the ball. 
but run it equally to either side without giving notification to the personnel grouping of the defensive coordinator. So what can you do most to compliment DJ more? Because, man, I think all of us are impressed what he's been able to contribute. But what the tight end position could do if there's a little less obvious and a little bit more similarities to call. That's a, it's a good point, Tom, because when you look at Will Disley, you look at Noah Fant. Remember, the Seattle Seahawks traded for Noah Fant in that Russell Wilson trade. They had over 1,000 yards at the tight end position. Even Will Parkinson, their third tight end, uh, chipped in. And I think you bring up a really good point because opposite DK Metcalf is Lockett, right? Tyler Lockett. That is something that has been missing in the Chicago Bears offense. And then, of course, they went out and drafted uh, in Jigba from Ohio State last year. So they've got three really good wide receivers, a core of good tight ends. And I think if, if the Bears add to those positions, maybe now you're cooking with gas offensively. Because he's been my uh, partner here for 27, going on 28 years, I'm always going to stick with the line of scrimmage and, and make that as, as excellent as possible. That's, a, that's an obvious, to me, an obvious, right? But I, I'm, I was reading Bill Belichick's book on my vacation here. Uh, I'm getting through it. And the, the whole discussion of the Super Bowl against Mike Martz and Marshall Falk and how he, his focus was just to eliminate – as much as possible, that three-down dangerous back who can catch the football and still run between the tackles if you needed him. How you guys feel about – listen, I love the Bears running backs, but would you have interest in a guy that can threaten a defense in both ways on three downs that you know you have to account for him and it kind of offense kind of runs through that a little bit? Uh, is that a weapon that could work in this particular offense and how you would feel about it because you're giving a defense a lot to have to deal with? Tommy? Well, are you looking for touchdowns or first downs? Both. If you're considering first downs or in Roshan Johnson, I could develop him as much as anybody because he's a great blocker. He catches the ball well, and he's got good physical, tough instincts. And, you know, Jeff, we have, we've talked about this plenty almost ad nauseum that I'm a first down type of guy. Yeah. So if you want to give me a guy that's going to have a 75-yard touchdown run, you know, once every, you know, certain amount of time, okay, I'm happy with that. But I need a guy that's going to keep the offense on the field, and I think the Bears have it. But, listen, man, you're always looking to upgrade the depth of the running back position, and I think one thing the Bears have done a nice job of the last couple of years is keeping fresh running backs aboard so when their opportunity is called, whether it's Deontay Foreman or, uh, you know, like I said, Roshan Johnson or Khalil Herbert, all these guys have certain attributes that uh, is the reason they're in the NFL. See, to me, Jimmy, the guys like the Ecklers, the Barclays, uh, the kid in New Orleans, the, the, the backs that you know, man, if they get – and what Detroit is working up there – those are dangerous for your defense to have to to deal with. So I, I, that's what I was looking at. Well, there's just there's very few bell cow backs anymore. Yeah. Yes, you got McCaffrey, you've got Derrick Henry, you've got Barkley, who you just mentioned. The NFL seems to be going by running back by committee uh, at this point. When you look at just survey the landscape of the NFL, I mean, even you know you look at a diminutive back like McCaffrey for the 49ers. That guy legitimately is going to get 30, 35 touches a game. You know, he's going to get minimum 20 carries, and he's going to get uh, 10 receptions. Uh, just go look at the Super Bowl and how they utilized him leading up to the Super Bowl. Not a lot of teams have that. You know, it's just it's a rarity now, and why the, the running backs had to take haircuts last year because it's a 
I don't want to say it's a fungible position because it's it's a position you need, certainly. If you have a bell cow, that's it's unbelievable. But it's it's to me, it's a rarity now in, in the NFL. It's going to be by committee. Even look at the Lions that you just mentioned. I mean, between, uh, you know, obviously, Jameer Gibbs, who they drafted, and obviously David Montgomery, who I think is a, an outstanding back. But they utilized both of them, and they rotated them constantly. All right. In our short time we have remaining here, how about on the defensive side of the ball? We touched on a three technique, uh, exterior, another edge rusher uh, to help this defense really pop. And Tom, you know, Jalen Johnson, whether he's going to get franchise tagged or signed, one of the two, I, I'm, I'm hoping the Bears are able to keep him. Yeah. You know, is the personnel that you play on a regular basis in the position that you want them to be in? Uh, can Javon Dexter move around a little bit along the defensive line, play defensive end as well as he's playing on the inside? When you look at the linebacker position, are they set? And I've talked about this. Is Tyreek Stevenson, is he a free safety or is he a corner? Because to me, when you have Terrell Smith, and if you really think that he can develop and do a starting corner, I think the most physical defensive back the Bears have is Tyreek Stevenson. I've talked about it before. So just um, as Eric and Coach Eberflus, if they go and reevaluate the defense, is the personnel in the position that you want them to be in. Jim, with the release of Eddie Jackson, uh, a guy who can range from hash to hash and intercept the football in, 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 in such a way as he did, uh, is that something the Bears will try to replicate at that position, you think? Or is Tommy's maybe Tommy's idea is the one to go with? Yeah, well... I agree. Well, look at the safety position. Both running backs and safeties are already out there on the open market. You just mentioned Eddie Jackson getting released. How about Adrian Phillips? He just got released. Tracy Walker just got released by the Detroit Lions. So safety position is is already out there that you can sign guys. And I do think the Bears will have to address the, the safety position. All right, boys, we're out of time once again. Big Jim, thanks. We'll see you in Indianapolis. Save room for me over there, will you? Will do. That's going to do it for us. The executive producer of the Bears Radio Network, Eric Ostrowski. Thanks as well to our producers, Dan Barilli and Jordan Trudup. And tonight in the ESPN 1000 studios, Jack McGrath. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bleck and Abdallah are next on ESPN 1000 and the Bears Radio Network. Thank you for listening to the Chicago Bears Network presentation, The Bears Weekly, hosted by the mayor of Bearsville, Jeff Juniak, and Surfmaster Tom Thayer. Podcasts are available on the Chicago Bears official app. Bears Weekly has been brought to you by Apple Podcasts, Bet Rivers, IGS Energy, and Miller Lite.